This is Chris Westwall from Financial Executives International, and this is the Financial Executives Podcast. In this issue of the podcast, we talk with Joseph Howell, Executive Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Workiva, about his recent work with the Financial Executives Research Foundation on a project focusing on mitigating the increase in audit fees. So, Joe, one thing I wanted to ask you um, in regards to the report is, is there anything that surprised you? Any any findings that you didn't anticipate coming out of the report? There are actually two reports, and both of them contain things that are, if not a surprise, are certainly worthy of stopping to think about carefully. And the first of them is the way that audit fees have been increasing over the past few years. They have been going up at nearly twice the rate of inflation for other kinds of services over the past few years. So audit fees for companies who did not report any weaknesses in their controls were uh, increasing at uh, about 3 to 3.3% year over year. That's from all public companies who file with the SEC and report their audit fees. That compares to a, uh, uh, an increase in, in the uh, service uh, producer price index of, of well under 2%. Mm-hmm. The audit fees for companies that had weaknesses in their controls, however, were increasing at well over 6% for the past couple of years. And in fact, from 2013 to 2014 year-end audits, the increase went, uh, went from 6% and up to 6.4% year over year for companies that had material weaknesses or a, or a significant deficiency in their controls. That is very interesting to me and is also interesting to me that when we begin to look at the companies who actually were able to reduce their audit fees year over year, of which that was actually uh, nearly 40% of the of people who uh, reported their audit fees were able to reduce their fees and the principal reasons they reported include, among other things, improving their internal controls. Mm-hmm. So poor controls drive up your audit fees and a good controls help bring them down. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you this: in terms of just the overall rate of of increase, in, just in audit fees without any internal control problems or any issues, why do you think it's running ahead of of other traditional services? I think there are several factors, and one of them is the audit industry is now a regulated industry, and that is not something that the that they were subject to in the past. When Congress passed the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, they created the uh, Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. And in the early days, in 2011, 2012, they were really getting their feet under them about what they wanted to do. They were revising the audit standards. They uh, initially came out with a very detailed audit standard, which was subsequently replaced by something that was much more principles-based. But the scrutiny that the PCAOB has been applying to their inspections of the big four and other auditors, I think, are having a um, an impact overall in the uh, the amount of documentation, the amount of, of effort and review that audit firms are giving. And I, I can't tell you for a fact that that is the reason, but it is 
uh, remarkable coincidence that those audit fees have been rising at this rate after falling for many years right. before that, uh, following the increase in the findings in the inspection reports. Now, on the opposite side, in terms of, of firms that do have in, in, internal control issues, I mean, are they are a lot of companies just realizing the importance of of ICF ICFR on, on audit fees? Is that just sort of coming to their front of their mind right now, or has, has it always been there? I think that the internal control over financial reporting has been central to what accountants as professionals have had to do for generations. And the, uh, and the Sarbanes-Oxley Act didn't change very much. Much of the, the in fact, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act is built on the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act about maintaining adequate books and records to demonstrate that you have uh, maintained, established and maintained controls. And the and that Foreign Corrupt Practices Act goes back to the to the 1977 and the implementation in the in the late 70s, early 80s. So this has been around for a very long time. Hmm. What did happen for most accountants when the Sarbanes-Oxley Act required that they begin to to document their controls and they become subject to to scrutiny and and actually audit opinions? The, um, the accountants went out and said, well, we know how to build controls. So they put lots of controls all over the place. In fact, right. most companies started out with hundreds of controls, right. which is the moral equivalent of putting fire extinguishers everywhere, <laughs> even if there's no chance of a fire occurring there, and not really focusing on where you would have an ignition point and there would be risk of a fire. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is now you need to go test all those fire extinguishers. Make sure they're working correctly. And half the time when you put those fire extinguishers there, you didn't define the control well enough to be able to say, hey, this is the risk it's controlling for and this is the way it operates and this is the kind of of uh, evidence that we have to demonstrate that. Many of those controls were m- management review controls that um, – really required to demonstrate that they, the control was working was to get inside the head of the person who was doing the review. Right. Because the person who was doing the review frequently didn't leave any evidence of what he or she was doing when they signed something that they reviewed it. Hmm. So those controls were, um, were, were too many, they were too scattered, and they weren't focused on what really could go wrong. Much of the, the underlying cause of why accountants did that is because they didn't have time to really stop and think. The Many of the, the tool sets that they've been using have been very uh, desktop-oriented tools that would require a an enormous amount of uh, manipulation and manual effort to keep them in sync. And so a good deal of the work done by the accountants who were documenting the controls and doing the risk assessments and documenting the transaction flows, the writing the narratives, p- producing the flow charts, and then designing the tests or even conducting the tests. Much of that work was being done in spreadsheet or separate tool sets that were, uh, that, that were very time-consuming. That, that meant that the, the uh, company didn't really have the resources left over at the end of the day to do the kind of careful consideration that was needed. And when companies have been able to stop to think about what they're doing, we see several things. Uh, first of all, that they, they tend to reduce the number of controls 
One company, a bank in Seattle, after having some time to carefully consider its controls, actually reduced their total number of controls from 300 to about 150. They cut them in half. Interestingly, they believe that by focusing on those controls that mattered, they dramatically improved their overall control environment because now they had time to really think about those controls carefully. And they didn't have to spend time testing and and evaluating controls that weren't adding any value to their control environment whatsoever. So by reducing the number of controls, they improved their control environment. They also managed to reduce their audit fees despite the fact that their bank doubled in size in that same period of time. So, so do you, is that bank an outlier? Where, where are most companies in terms of getting a handle on their – or reducing the number of controls and only focusing on the ones that really matter from your point of view? Well, what we are seeing increasingly is that companies are able to step back and reassess the, the control environment, but it's still in the early days. As I said, accountants believe that, oh, yes, we know what controls are. We're going to have lots of them. Right. And, and that's the gut reaction of a lot of people who've come up in public accounting. That certainly was my gut reaction in the early days, but only when I began to actually take a look at what that meant to the audit effort and my administrative effort in documenting and and evaluating and reconsidering and rolling forward and gathering evidence. Wow, that's every control is a huge overhead and it really better be a good control that really reflects the kinds of risks that the company is must must control in order to make sure that its financial statements represent what's really going on so so keeping on that thought in terms of internal controls um you know everybody is sort of focusing on what they can do more efficiently and putting that into sort of the cloud and, and figuring out you know you know leveraging the cloud in order to create more efficiency. Uh, you know, do you think there's any hesitance or has been any hesitance in using the cloud-based solutions for internal controls? Oh, there is, a, there is um, hesitancy, and it's the same hesitancy that my grandfather uh, experienced following the collapse of the uh, banks in the Depression. Mm-hmm. When my grandfather passed away, we had to pretty much tear his house apart because there was money stashed everywhere. <laughs> he was concerned that mingling his money with everybody else's money in the bank would lead to greater exposure, when in fact, the bank was the best place to put his money. Mm-hmm. And the uh, chief information officer of the U.S. government reported in um, in the Wall Street Journal in October of 2015 that the uh, that the federal government now believes that the cloud providers are able to do a much better job in general than anybody trying to run their controls in their own on-premise systems. Mm. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One reason is is that when you have all your data in one place, you now have told everybody where it is, come get it. Right, right. The, the, the other big reason is, is that the majority of the controls around our own on-premise systems, which goes also to the testing of those systems for, for audit purposes, is you build a huge moat around your, your space and a huge impenetrable wall. But what we all know is that moats can be passed and, so can, and there is no such thing as an impenetrable wall. You can ask the federal government or Target or anyone about the frequency with which people seem to get through your defenses. 
the cloud providers have an advantage over any on-premise system, and the big advantage they have is enormous computing capacity that can be used to encrypt everything that's inside the wall. So in our case for for a WDesk, we shard everything. Uh, that means we take whatever data you're working on and we break it apart into randomly generated binary large objects that are individually encrypted and then copied over and, and, and stored in multiple locations. So the information, if someone tried to get in, would first of all not be in a coherent or, or single place. It would be broken up. So you would have right. to first of all find a key to put it back together. And once you put it back together, then you have to find another key to, to decrypt it. That takes a lot of computing power, and that's really expensive. And Amazon and Google, Microsoft, IBM, those computer providers have the ability to do that for hundreds or thousands of customers at a time when, and at the same cost to do that for you. Right. So, so it makes a very different – but to your question – people are increasingly becoming more comfortable with the cloud because it provides some some really compelling benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, among them is access from anywhere, massive redundancy so that business interruption is not a concern, the, um, the ability to uh, provide uh, protection even through permissioning at a very granular level. So this page in this document is is hidden to everyone who doesn't have permission to see it. And that is the kind of thing that is really hard and expensive to do in an on-premise system. On-premise systems also require a lot of separate management and maintenance by an IT organization, running your own servers, having those licenses. All of that disappears in the cloud where uh, the, the cloud provider is going to do all those things for you. And the result is that there are an enormous number of benefits, including improved security. But like my grandfather, it's going to take, I think, some time for people to become comfortable that mingling their data with other people's is actually safer than trying to put it all in your own uh, behind, behind your stove. And does that ability sort of to put it in the cloud work on the opposite side, sort of, not the opposite side, but in terms of efficiency, are the, are the auditors and the audit firms easily, you know, does it create a better efficiency with the auditors and in, in, in their ability to access those inter- internal controls during review? Or, um, or is it, uh, you know, how are they intermingling with sort of the on-premise model? Without question, it improves those efficiencies. Now, External auditors do need to have a copy for their own work papers of all of the information that may be in the cloud provider's uh, solution. The uh, the, uh, cloud providers like WDesk are able to output all of that documentation into something that the auditors may then take into their own system as documentation for what they did. But the cloud systems enable the auditors to become a regular user of the system and so they can observe what's going on, make notes about what's going on, test what's going on, but not change or or in some way corrupt the evidence because it's in the cloud environment that would restrict what they're able to do through the permissioning. So that gives them the ability to get right in with the, with the perhaps the internal auditor or the compliance people inside their their clients. 
The other real advantage of that is the the uh, the ability to see what the client has done when they did it. One of the things that we hear often that is a big frustration for internal auditors in particular is, is that the internal auditors do a great deal of work. The external auditors now need to come back and redo that work. Hmm. And they believe, or they've said, that that's because the PCA will be told them they, uh, they can't just rely on the work done by the internal auditors that they need to do it themselves. Right. That's not what the PCAOB was trying to say by any means, but that's what was understood. The advantage of the cloud-based systems is that anytime someone does something, it's tracked. So if the, if the question is, how do I know that this evidence in the work papers that the internal auditor prepared really came from the client and, or the control owner, the, uh, because there's no way in a physical world to see who gave that piece of paper, then you have to go back and ask for that piece of paper yourself. Right. But in the in the cloud environment, you can see who provided it because here the control owner is the only person who could have done that, and they did it. And here are their notes that were directly applied to that evidence. And here is the evidence that the internal auditor considered it. And here is the evidence that the internal auditor was able to use that to conclude on the control. Those things are all in one system are easy to get your hands on to see who did it. You, there's, in short, there's no way to avoid leaving footprints in the sand about what you did, right. which is the other side of the control. Right. Now, just moving beyond internal controls, one of the things that was pointed out in the reports was um, sort of the centralizing of the audit function was, a, was a, a contributed to sort of decrease in, in, in fees or at least slowing the growth in fees. Um, what, what sense, what size does it make uh, sense for a company to centralize its audit function? The big issue with centralization is that the material is scattered all over the place. And so that's why when companies are able to centralize it, they can centralize it themselves physically by bringing everybody together and have them working out of the same office, which is typically what you see in a smaller company anyways. Mm-hmm. And when companies become global is when they begin to distribute out their, their audit function. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about that centralization is it doesn't need to be physical centralization. You can centralize through the communication tools that you're using, including cloud-based audit environments. The issue that is really hard to overcome when you're dealing with desktop tools and you're creating Excel or you have PDFs that you're working with and Word documents, flowcharts that were done in Visio, narratives that were written in Word, evidence that was collected and perhaps sitting in a PDF file, is that all those things are being perhaps checked in, checked out of a SharePoint or other server. Hmm. But there's no way to know that the information in one document is consistent with information in another document. And that inconsistency by itself undermines the control environment. It makes it hard for an auditor or anyone to believe that you have control when you don't have the same information about this, but it's supposed to be the same in all these locations, the the flowcharts, the narratives. So centralization does not need to be, and, and I didn't read that necessarily as a physical centralization okay. as much as a technological centralization mm-hmm. to be able to get everything into one seamless source of information about the risk the controls to control to, to mitigate the risk how those work the narratives the descriptions the evidence that that supports that the control is actually working and then the uh, ultimate audit conclusion that it was working 
Another another piece that was talked about was the you know one of the things that can help control costs on the uh, on the audit is hiring uh, people who with experience, some people with public uh, company accounting audit experience, bringing them in so they have the expertise to sort of streamline things. But is, wouldn't that be sort of cost prohibitive? I mean, isn't there sort of a battle for for talent out there? And, and wouldn't sort of bringing those people in sort of wash out any benefit you would get from from uh, uh, from the audit fee side? It, you know, it can. And there is a solution to that that still meets all of the needs, and that is – outsourcing much of the that audit work or that special knowledge. Mm. And that's something that I did when I was chief financial officer of some companies that were just at that awkward stage. They were too small. We were too small to have full-time people that were devoted strictly to audit and to be able to keep those people trained and engaged and get them uh, moving throughout the organization, particularly parts of the organization that were very far away and other continents. And, uh, but but um, too uh, big not to have that kind of professional talent. Mm. So I outsourced at the time to um, Arthur Anderson's uh, internal audit group, which is now Protivity, mm. uh, and uh, Grant Thornton, Moss Adams, BDO. There are many firms that provide that high level of service that enables you to have the best quality people who are well trained and have that um, that focus on you as a, as a client and then go away when you don't need them it's really hard if you were to hire that those individuals bring them in and you can't really use them to prepare the material, which would be the obvious thing when they're not doing an audit Let, help prepare some of that material that that means they're no longer independent. So I think the outsource model is a great way to get really high quality individuals who are organized, trained, and managed effectively to do the kind of work. How do you control quality on that? I mean, especially if you outsource it. um, I mean, what's sort of the vetting process? I know in the audit business, there was a big push for offshoring um, uh, some of the talent, but how do you maintain or keep oversight of the quality of the people who, uh, of the people who you're going to on an outsourced basis. We have an opportunity to talk to lots of different firms. We work closely and partner with Moss Adams, Protivity, Grant Thornton, and others, and um, in their work. So we get a chance to actually collaborate with those firms and get a chance to see the high quality that they can produce. And Workiva also has a firm that uh, that we have uh, outsourced to do some of our work, and we have um, uh, SOC ones and now SOC 2 for our own applications. So we work closely with auditors who do those kinds of evaluations. Those people are always on premise so that you get a chance to meet them, see them, and, and just like your external auditors come to your offices, so do these outsourced internal auditors. It's not somebody who is doing that work for you in another country or another continent. Mm. You also then get a chance to get to know those people and they, and they work closely with the, um, the senior um, uh, uh, audit, uh, pe- the people who are responsible for the controls and audit inside the, their clients and with the board of directors. And if the, uh, the audit committee um, 
meets, they would be they would also then meet with the audit committee, and the audit committee would have a direct line to to review and supervise their work. Great. I have one last question for you, and that this sort of forward-looking thing. You know, based on the reports that have been done already, and just from your own experience out in the market, you know, is there anything in the market right now that makes you believe that controlling audit fields will become harder or easier in the future? Is it going to get better? or Is it going to get worse? It's going to get better for three reasons. The first reason is is that the the, the, in, the whole profession is becoming better at it. Mm. It's been a very difficult, challenging learning period. It's been embarrassing for the auditors, I'm sure, when the PCOB writes these challenging inspection reports and it looks as if many of their, their audits are failing. The, um, the industry has learned a lot, and I think they're getting better all the time. The second thing that's going on is that I think that companies themselves are beginning to take these matters more seriously and looking for ways to improve their controls. And finally, tool sets that are becoming available that enable companies to, as we just discussed, to centralize their audit functions without having to move people around physically to reduce the manual effort that it takes to get their job done so that gives them the time to think about the numbers of controls that they have and which controls are actually adding value and which are not. And it also then helps reduce the redundancy in a lot of the work that the that the company might do through its own internal audit group that had, that no longer would need to be redone by the external auditors because the external auditors can have better evidence to support what was done by the internal auditors. So I think all the way around, we should begin to see a improvement. Mm. But as we're seeing in the aggregate filing data from the, from the Edgar database about what companies are paying for their audit fees, that improvement seems to be uh, shared only by people who actually do have a good control systems because those who do not are clearly still experiencing an increasing rate of audit fee um, increase. So I, I would say it's not only going up, it's going up at an increasing rate. Great. Great. Those are my questions. I really appreciate you taking the time. Great. So uh, thank you very much, Chris. It's my pleasure. I enjoyed Thanks. it. Thanks.